without any further ado, let me welcome to the stage Brother Brady Webster. Yeah, I spilled right there in first service. <clears throat> I mentioned that in second service, and people really laughed. I knew they, were, they wished they would have seen it. No, exactly who they are. There might be some in here. It's okay, I forgive you. <clears throat> uh, can we put Julio's graphic up, please? All right, church. Uh, Julio Irizarry, he transitioned into glory on the 12th. And we've been praying for him, right? We've been praying for his healing. Well, he's ultimately been healed. And he is with the Father in glory. This is a time of mourning. We still want to keep the family in prayer. We still want to pray for Maria. She's grieving right now, the loss of a husband after 46 years of marriage. We got the awesome opportunity not that long ago to see him in his public profession of faith get baptized, and we're very thankful for that. The Celebration of Life is going to be next Saturday, the 27th, here, and there will be a reception to follow in the Rush Building at 1. You're welcome to come. If you feel led to help, please go to the Connection Center after the service and provide your information there. If you don't feel led to help and if you have no intention of coming, that's fine. Pray for the Irizarry family as they've lost Julio, who is someone that we loved. He's one of ours. All right. <clears throat> All right, so last week, Pastor kicked off a new sermon series. Let me take this. Called Love Is. And I'm going to continue that. And I'm going to use his focal verse. Uh, everybody have a good week. We're going to talk a lot about that, and really the intention there is to consider exactly the title of the sermon, Love Is, <clears throat> the focal verse of the sermon, verse is rather, comes from the first letter to the Corinthians, 13, 4 through 8, we'll read it. <clears throat> love suffers long and is kind, love does not envy, love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So, right out of the box, when you read that, in comparison of the last seven days, you may, I was convicted. Here's a little exercise to give you an idea. The second letter to the Corinthians tells us we should examine ourselves. Examine yourselves. So self-reflection is part of the Christian life. The last week, plug your name in to everywhere in this verse that it says love. It'll quickly allow you to self-reflect. Maybe a litmus test for your heart. Brady suffers long and is kind sometimes when it suits him when he wants. I mean, that'll preach. You don't have to get too deep into this piece of scripture for it to be applicable 
to what we're dealing with, what we just dealt with. But the purpose of what I want to talk about today and, you know, what the Lord has presented as the only thing that felt right and decent and excited me to talk about was pastor's focal verse that didn't show up until last night. So, so, so presenting the proclamation of God's word, it, it can be weighty, it can be heavy, and it can press on the person tagged to do it because there's a standard of truth that you want to convey and present to the church to honor Christ and to honor the body, but to make a difference in a dark world. And you have 66 books, and it's kind of wide open. Where do you go? So I, was, I had an idea of what we're going to talk about. I talked to Pastor about it, and it wasn't until last night that things started to kind of fall into place. And it really fell into place. I had his slide deck the whole time, mind you. His slide deck was with me the whole time, and... The focal verse was already on there. It was staring me in the face the whole time. And I kept trying to change it, and it just, it didn't work. So putting it together in light of the week we had, what I was going to talk about wasn't directly related to the week we had. But I couldn't be up here and not talk about the week we had. Um, especially in light of who we are. So this gives you a lot of positives, what love is. What is love? I know y'all are hearing a song in your head right now. Uh, but it also gives you what love is not. So it gives you both sides, these pieces. And some of those I've listed here. So love is patient and love is kind. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of rights and wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love never fails. So I'm asking, when I already know the answer, did, were others dishonored last week by the household of faith? Potentially. The answer is yes. I already know. The reason we're talking about love is because God is love. You hear that, we know that. The triune God is in community within himself as love, and we're supposed to represent that love to a dark and dying world, regardless of our circumstances. Regardless of if we lose our power, if we lose our water, if we can't drink, if we get stuck at the house, if our kids aren't in school, if... Whatever our circumstances, those things don't change. We are who we are who we are. And really the commands of Christ, we'll get into a lot of them, are to look toward the cross. Pastor has said, anytime you see Jesus doing anything from the perspective of he is love, you're watching love in action. Sometimes I think of cords and flipping tables Maybe you do too, because it's in the realm of possibilities. But Jesus is love, so what he did was love, and we are to reflect that. We're supposed to be angled mirrors, receiving the love from heaven and reflecting it toward a dying world. 
And I can't get very far in that verse. I don't know about you, but if plugging my name in, which I did, I went through the exercise with my wife, and it, it's exposing, it's self-reflection. It's, man, I wish I was a more kind person sometimes. Kinder is kinder a word. I wish I was kinder or more kind. I wish I was more patient. Don't get me wrong. I'm emotionally intelligent. My patience, I can, I can conduct my body language appropriately. I can bite my tongue and I can, I can uh, uh, sidestep the reactions and all the muscles in my face. So it appears that I'm patient. In my heart, I've burned down the house three times and killed all the animals. So the self-reflection I'm talking about is actual, true, honest self-reflection. Holy Spirit, please show me anything in my heart that is deceitful that I need to work on. And nobody can do that but you communing with God. And it is also bringing us to what love is. We talk about love is this, love is not this, but there's some echoes in Galatians in the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, we find, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Here it is again, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Not all of us were self-controlled in a very short period of time. We lost some of our creature comforts. All of us did. Here's a quick heart check. Maybe it does something in someone's heart. If I look at you guys and tell you that my house never lost power at all, not one iota. Second service, this brother over here, he, he goes, no. That's the reaction I was looking for. So maybe you had that, but what's for them is for them, what's for me is for me. And even in that circumstance, that holds true. But if your heart was jealous, what about me? It's exposing. That's the kind of self-reflection we're talking about. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So you'll find my flow. I'll read a little bit, talk a little bit. That's huge. So we are given the fruit of the Spirit by Paul's pen through inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church in Galatia. And here he says, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. There was envy, Maybe there was provoking, maybe there was provoking businesses. And we had a lot of interruptions. If the enemy can't steal your salvation, he can interrupt you from being who you're supposed to be to represent his light in a dying world as an angled mirror. And there were a lot of interruptions this past week, a lot. But if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Why? To not become conceited. Provoking one another. I got calls. Hey, brother, you okay? Yeah, I'm good. Smoked through my propane, but we're all right. Yeah, man, I heard direct propane. Stop. I'll be all right. 
People shouldn't be so comfortable gossiping, but as the church of Jesus Christ, you have a responsibility to stop that in its tracks because that was happening. And if you accidentally stumbled onto Facebook, you saw a lot of that. Saw some good. I'll I'll highlight some good. I don't have a Facebook account. My account was purged. I got an email we celebrated because it says your account is going to be purged if you don't whatever by whatever date. And I was like, yeah, purge it. Flush it. And then I'm on hers to go to Marketplace. But occasionally I'll stumble into what's going on in the interwebs. Um, And I saw, so greater Austin area, every different direction, little town, it has its persona. And decades old personas. Bastrop has always been considered the redneck capital of greater Austin. It just has. And what that produces is a lot of gentlemen with four by fours. So we had a group that got together and started neighbors helping neighbors. Did y'all see some of that? Was anybody in here helped? They had a need. Was anybody in here helped at all? Yeah, we were helped. Amen. We were helped. I didn't have gas, so uh, brother hooked us up with some space heaters. And yeah, woke up in the middle of the night last night, and it was it was hot in our room. Not a, so. I mean, not a real complaint. It's temporary. It's not a real complaint. Granted, I don't want to diminish anybody who is suffering because if you're suffering, you're suffering, and that's relative. And I don't want to diminish that. But I also read things like. January 2020 statistics show that in the world we live in, eight Christians a day are murdered for their faith. They're martyred. Our brothers and sisters, the community of faith, they're being martyred eight a day. There are places in the world with no water. Electricity is, looks like magic to a lot of places in Africa, I'm sure. So I'm not trying to diminish the fact that it wasn't easy, but I'm trying to diminish the fact that it should not have changed who we are as Christians to be the light of Christ in a dark world. To provoke one another, to envy one another, or to become conceited. (laughs) Pictures of the stockpiles of toilet paper. (laughs) Ha ha ha, it's conceit. Last week in pastor's message, he preached on good marriages, do's and don'ts. For every do, there was scriptural support. For every don't, there was scriptural support. This one was in here, and we could have heard this, and we could have taken this and remembered this, and the Holy Spirit can call things to remembrance. Out of 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's to just be thankful. Be thankful. So maybe you've heard of it. It's a psychological framework tool. It's pretty familiar to a lot of people, but Maslow's hierarchy. It's a triangle in design, but the basic premise is is that the bottom level is your basic needs, then you attain those, you can move up to the next level, we'll finally culminating to self-actualization at the top, okay? That's psychology, probably familiar to you, and I understand the, the logic behind it, but that's not a Christian perspective. It's not at all, it's, it's, it's backwards. 
Our peace comes from the Prince of Peace. Our focus on God is primary in our lives because He, the Father of lights, whom all gifts flow from, provides everything else you need. In John 16.33, here's his response that includes some promises. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Okay, so we're Christians, we're in the world but not of the world. So here's the same dichotomy, but he says, in me you may have peace. In me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. We're in the world, not of the world. We'll have tribulation. Things will hurt. We're human. We're still in our flesh. We can't understand everything until we cross into glory. But we're still called to be who we are, which is in him, reflecting his love to a hurting world. And being weird. We're weird. It's a weird thing. You drink blood and eat bread that's a, what? You dump people in water? Like, what is that even? It's, it should be weird. We're called out of Egypt. You know, some people ask, if, is America in the Bible? I don't know, unless it's Babylon. Not what I was going to talk about. But Jesus has overcome the world, so in him we have peace while we're in the world in our flesh, until we're called home. There's some questions to consider that we'll get at. So, what's your love say? Were we angled mirrors this past week? Did we show love is or did we show love is not? That little exercise I just walked through, plugging your name in, gets to the point pretty quick. And then where is our head? Were we present or were we eternal? Eternal thinking, down the road, storing up treasures in heaven. Not here where moth and rust destroy. Because one day you're going to pass into glory and somebody's going to get all your stuff. And is our struggle temporary? So considering the first question, what does, what did our love say this week? Remember, were we patient? Were we kind? Were we protecting the truth because we knew the truth, because our eyes were focused on Jesus? Or did, because of a circumstance, we lose our religion and start spitting venom, start gossiping, start provoking, start being angry to our spouses, our kids who are watching. There's a theology of suffering. I'm telling you that I don't want to diminish the fact that some people had real struggle. Some people were in a real bad way. It was temporary, yes. But struggling is relative. But our perspective shouldn't change. So the people who were, we had a family visit a lot of years ago. I visited with my son on my shoulders, Cash, if you've seen him. Uh, in 2010, and you see him now, he can't sit on nobody's shoulders in here. But that was my first visit. I was asked if I could show up a little early before service the next week, and I did. And I had a name tag, and I started, you know, introducing new families and 
passing out visitor cards and brand new. I was green, but, but it's fine. That's what I was doing. So I was engaging this family. They'd been around maybe three weeks and <clears throat> beautiful family, and, but I could tell something was wrong. So I walked up, engaged them, and I said, how are you guys doing? And they'd been a couple times, and um, the, the mother, she spoke up, and I could see she relaxed her shoulders, and she was just going to, like, she was going to tell it. And uh, they had been on the mission field in Africa for the prior three years, and they came back to the States, and she said, we're looking for churches, but over there, we would gather in fields, we would be in danger of being killed. People would die, but we worshiped with our whole selves. And we came together and met needs during the weeks. And the proclamation of God's word was the bread that we needed to get through another week until we're meeting in that same field again, potentially getting shot and killed, kidnapped, whatever. And they just couldn't, they just couldn't get it over here. Maybe because our perspective can shift so quick when our creature comforts are so easily taken away. How vulnerable is our state when we are called to be representatives of the rock of ages? There's a reason for that name. Peace is peace regardless. You've heard the, the illustration of uh, you know, the painting. He tells, the guy tells the painters to y'all paint peace. And then somebody paints something that looks serene and peaceful, and somebody creates like a, this, this torrential downpour in a lake, and there's one little rock, and there's a little bird just sitting there on the rock. And that was his vision of peace. That's God's vision of peace. I mean, he was on a boat in the Sea of Galilee when he calmed the seas and the winds with a word and said, You have little faith. He had a pillow. The Bible said he had a pillow. That's peace. Another illustration of peace. It just, it just popped in my head. Uh, does anyone know the name Horatio Spafford? Okay. He wrote it as well. Okay. He was a prominent businessman in the Chicago area on the east coast of the lake. He, he had tied up all his money in investments and in, in buildings, commercial property, and he was an attorney. Well, very well to do. So he's working so hard, he had, uh, he had lost a son. So he and his wife had lost a son, but they had two daughters. So dealing with grief, working hard, he was, go he was a Christian. He was a Christian man, and he followed, maybe you're familiar with the name, but he followed uh, D.L. Moody who was a very famous uh, evangelist uh, and participated during that time uh, in a lot of awakenings in different places because he proclaimed the word of God with power unabashedly in who he was. So he was going to take a family vacation. They were going to follow D.L. Moody across to England and uh, listen to him preach over there and support him. Well, business kept him back and his wife and two daughters, they took off in the ship and that ship ended up being struck by another ship, and it sank. And he didn't know any of this. you got to think. Man didn't get a text. He didn't open up and see the news. He got a telegraph from his wife, who arrived in England, that just said, survived alone. 
What do I do now? So he says, I'm going to go meet my wife because this is a grieving time. This is terrible. This is horrible news. He lost his daughters after losing his son. By the way, he lost his fortune because there was the great fire in Chicago that burned everything he owned down. So he was destitute. His creature comforts were gone. So he gets on a boat, and he's grieving. So you got to think about this. He's in a little cabin. I don't know what it's like. Uh, we've all seen Pirates of the Caribbean. It may be a little small, kind of uncomfortable in the seas. But he's sailing. The captain comes back. Mr. Spafford, this is the spot, we believe, where the ship went down. So he knows his daughters are down there. And it was in that moment Christian history records that he penned the words to, it is well with my soul. That peace doesn't happen without you remembering who you are at all times in all circumstances. Whether your money is gone, whether, God forbid, your children are gone, whether you have no direction, regardless, that's Maslow's hierarchy upside down. Jesus is enough. He's enough. If you pray for something and don't get it, he's enough. So is our head present or eternal? We have this verse here that it, this, this, this can warm your heart and this can set you free because I've already showed you we're promised tribulations in this life. We will have them. In the second letter to the Corinthians, in the fourth chapter, starting at 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you know bioscience has caught up to the biblical truth that your brain can be healed? By meditation on God's word, you are actually... Rebuilding cells that may have been lost, patterns that are lost. Addictions create patterns in your brain, neural pathways. They are healed by the Bible. Renew your mind. Renew your mind. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory that we will get because of that. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So we're promised tribulation. Things will hurt. Soldiers will be pulled out of the fight, and it will hurt. But here's what it does. For the Christian who is rooted in truth and love and doesn't take their eyes off the cross, here's what it does. It is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory in heaven that awaits us. That's our hope. Yeah, it's tough here, but this is, it's but a vapor, James says. In Jesus' words, in Matthew 6, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food 
and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. Now, this past week, did anybody see birds? Right? Okay, so we have the ice, we have the snow, we have something we're not used to. In my head, in my logic, what makes sense is, is they're dead. This little bitty creature is going to freeze, fall out of the air, and it's over. But in God's providence and providing and taking care of, with the first sunrise and the initial thaw, there were birds everywhere, and they were eating their faces off. Lacey went out on our front porch. I heard her go, oh, she thought a little bird was dead. He wasn't dead. He was in a meat coma because he'd been eating so much. <laughs> they don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Question, answer, no. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, the richest, most fabulous king in the Bible, he probably looked like that, that plumber meme that's going around with all the gold rings, the gold necklaces, like, like Run DMC is jealous all the way from 85. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will I eat? What will I drink? What will I wear? These things dominate the thoughts of the unbelievers. We are Christians. That jumped out at me when I read it in first service because I, of course, put it here and I didn't think about it. But when I read that, man, that's part of that self-reflection. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a loving God, especially for somebody who can self-reflect and expose all of these thoughts based in worry, rooted in fear, because that does not come from your heavenly Father. Recognize the voice of the enemy in your life and part with it. Resist him and he will flee. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, we don't pray for, Lord, give us this week our, what, we pray for our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And that's grace for today. That's what we pray for. That's what we hope for. Because understanding that the Lord is in control, <laughs> he teaches us. If so... You know, if the circumstance, something's happening outside of your control, it's, it's a lesson, a lesson in the illusion of control. And if you're being punished, that's amazing because that is sonship. God corrects those he loves, so he calls you son. So, yes, yeah, some things will hurt, but it's for our good. All things work for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things. 
is the struggle temporary? Here's the verse I was trying to hunt a while ago. James, this is Jesus' bold little brother. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Now maybe you've seen this illustration. Pastor has done it. Other pastors have done it. But he has a rope. At the very end of the rope, there's tape. That tape represents your life. He gives some kid the other end of the rope and tells him to run and don't stop until I say something. That's also part of the illustration is pastor will just see how far they'll go. <laughs> but that represents eternity. So the exchange of faith and the representation of his love, we have this small little window in light of eternity. So when you think about it, eternity is eternity. And the new Jerusalem beckons. But this life... We have this short period of time. And how quickly did we lose who we were and did we forget the cross? Did we forget that we were to be more than conquerors? Because what that is, is not for UFC fighters. It's not. It's for being able to have joy in the midst of trials, which Paul knew well. I have learned in all these things to be more than a conqueror. In Christ, like in California, all these uh, the the government in California is trying to shut everything down. No churches can meet, and one church in LA kept meeting. And this is a big church, and this this actually this they put together the Bible I use. And he said they, they kept winning court date after court date, and, and you know it was kind of like a, a triumph for Christianity. And you want to look at it like that, but. He said, what he said was, uh, you know, they've threatened, they've threatened to put me in prison. He goes, and that, you know, what's your response to that? Well, I I'm, you know, I'm, haven't done prison ministry yet. <laughs> Regardless of the circumstances, Christ is king and he can be shown in and through us. Right. And the response to these questions, what do we do? Yes, this is hokey. It's true. It's kind of Christian t-shirt theology. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. But it is. He's the Prince of Peace. And it's, it's true. It's true. And sometimes those little simple things, they get to be on t-shirts for a reason, right? So the first thing we do is love. And that sounds, it's a good answer. When I leave here, I'm going to love God and love others. Until someone cuts me off or until someone takes all the bread and H-E-B, <laughs> whatever. You know, you, you get the point I'm trying to make. So, yes, it's the supreme ethic. And, yes, we should reflect and we should be loved to a dying world in, in our Lord's words. Here's his response to what is the greatest commandment, another attempted trap. What is the greatest commandment? His answer, words of our Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And here's the, br the brilliance of Jesus is what he did there is they were trying to trap him. And his answer was basically... 
The greatest commandment is the first four, quickly followed by the last six. These, are the great, these two are the greatest commandments. A summary, a restatement of the Ten Commandments. So he won again. Spoiler alert, Jesus wins. So we should be loved. Well, how do we do that? Because it's going to be difficult for me to leave here with the answer you gave on how I should be able to do this. You said love, I should love, love God, love others. How do I do that? This church is built on the pebble and pastor's shoe that was placed there by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for years to disciple. Our purpose statement on our sign is we are Christ-like disciple makers. So what does that mean? That means we learn and we grow our roots deep in Christ, making disciples, so give it away. Give it away. That is the essence of loving others. I hope that everybody knows this verse well. I'll read it. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. The end of the age is the reference to the church age that we're in, and maybe that time clock is winding down. He's with us, and then we'll be with him. But here's what discipleship looks like. Write this down. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Christ has called you to the fight. So you don't get entangled with what's going on here. Ice, no heat, water. I know people suffered, but that's temporary. The cause of Christ is always, there's always opportunity to move because your children, your peers, at work, your friends, your family, your church, there may be people that think you're weird. Christ expects us to be weird. The gospel is foolishness to those that are perishing. That's not an easy statement. The gospel is is foolishness to those that are perishing. What does that mean? It means in the world, for those that don't believe, which is a lot, we look like fools. There's a theology of suffering. Suffer well. <clears throat> There's an encouragement to suffer well because people are looking, and that weirdness produces questions. Ecclesiastes also says that God has placed eternity in every man's heart. We all have a call in the deepest parts of us to the truth. And when someone is suffering, yet they have joy, it doesn't make sense in the world. And they wonder, where does that come from? And there is an opportunity to proclaim the word of God and move the kingdom forward. And maybe they receive it, maybe they don't, but that's not our job. That's the power of the Holy Spirit working through the proclamation 
of the gospel of grace. And here's what also happens in the context of discipleship. And first, these are just examples. There are a lot more. But in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you were doing. This church was doing it well, just as you were doing. That happens in discipleship. So discipleship is a lot of things. It's also not a lot of things. Discipleship is loving others well. It's, I'm a Christian and people should know that. People should know I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian out loud. I'm a good soldier of Christ. If it hasn't cost you anything, this is a part of that self-reflection I was talking about. If you being a Christian has not cost you anything, self-reflect. It's easy to move within the house of believers. It's easy to proclaim the word of God within the house of believers with like-minded people. When you hear someone's Christian, you can sing the praises of the things of God, what he's done for you. When someone's not, it's a challenge. It can be a challenge. James 5.16. This happens within the context of discipleship and should. It's a, it's a process, discipleship, in loving others, you're building trust, depositing in the trust bank, and you get to the point where confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We should confess our faults. This is so powerful. There's freedom attached to this one small piece of Scripture. You were never intended to carry the weight of the things you've done. It's pure arrogance to think that you can and will. And it's really a statement to say the blood of Christ wasn't enough for this. So if you go back to the point of salvation, all of us were walking around. We were revilers, slanderers, drunkards, we were sinners. And something happened in the, in the deepest parts of our spirit. We heard, I love you. And our reaction to that is, not me, what? I don't deserve that. I've done this, I've done that, I've done this, I've done that. And, but you don't have to understand theology to get to the point of, I didn't deserve it, but I got it, and that's grace. So from here on out, I will love you, and I will serve you. And how you do that is in discipleship. You love others deeply. You get concerned with what they're doing. You get concerned with their family. You get excited when they're having victories. When they're, when they're actually reading their Bible, thank God, hallelujah! That is an awesome start. But holding on to these things, not talking about these things in confession in a trust-based discipleship relationship with someone that loves you and wants the best for you and your family, it opens the door, I've talked about this before, for the enemy, the voice of the serpent. Like, remember that thing you did? You're not good enough. You're not good enough. They're going to know. What about, what if you do this? Remember that thing you did? Yeah, but I told my wife about that. Or yeah, but 
I told my disciple maker about that, or yeah, but we talked about that, and guess what? You know, I am good enough. I'm the head and not the tail. You know what? I am saved. Salvation, and that makes me more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Devil, flee! But holding on to those things is a weight you're never meant to care, carry. And bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That happens in discipleship. Trust-based loving others allows for others to then, hey man, I'm struggling with whatever. Do you have propane? Do you have heat? Do you have water? Like what you got going on at your spot? Because you matter, your family matters. And then that leads to a kingdom perspective. So the verse I use for this kingdom perspective, it comes from my brother. I called my brother last night and um, my niece, Avon, is nine and her younger sister, Vivi, Vivian is uh, four. <laughs> She's funny. And uh, my brother lives close to my cousin Aaron. That's Aunt E.E. E. to them. And, you know, they, they've done life together. That was my little brother's first best friend. It's our first cousin, my mom's brother's daughter, and he would spend time with my mom's side of the family in summers. I would spend time with my dad's side of the family in summers. Well, they were both the same age, and they would, you know, no shirts, little kids. They'd go hop on a horse bareback and just head off into the Huckleberry Finn world, and who knows what happened, but they showed back up alive, which was cool. But they have stories for days. She got married. She has two boys, and she ended up coming back from Alaska to Texas. Bet y'all don't want to go to Alaska anymore. She came back to Texas from Alaska and moved close. So Tom, her husband, works with my brother. They go to the same church. They're in the same circles. They're doing life together. It, it was like it was like a dream because our families used to be 50 deep on the weekends. We had all the kids to play outside, uh, parents to stay inside playing dominoes, trying to fix the world's problems and just stay outside. But it was beautiful. And all of us were named Webster. And that doesn't happen anymore. But he was living with Aaron, like, close. And, you know, Aaron's always struggled since college with bipolar. Like, she was my cousin. Love her dearly. And, but she would, you know, have these episodes where the chemistry in her brain, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't fire. And just, it, it, was, it was bad. She ended up, we said goodbye to her. She took her life last year. And my brother was devastated my sister-in-law was her disciple maker she's devastated it produced a lot of pain my brother had to tell his daughters Aunt E.E. E. is gone so Avon, huge heart, she's nine Vivi is four so he says Aunt E.E. E. is she's, she's no longer with us she's in heaven and Avon is asking questions because she wants to understand. Huge heart. Vivian says, she stops everybody with her hand in the air. She goes, wait. And E.E. is with Jesus? Johnny goes, yeah. She goes, good. So 
She has completely processed all of her grief in one small moment, but Avon didn't. And Avon had time with us where she had remembered a good event, spending time on the water with Aunt E.E. And it's still a good memory to remember the good times. But the other night, Johnny told me this last night, the other night she, she had a dream and she told Daddy, she had a dream. I had a dream. I was walking with Aunt E.E. in a field, and we were chasing a butterfly, and we couldn't quite catch the butterfly. And I was so sad because I woke up, and I didn't have a chance to talk with her. But what she did was, is she wrote him a note. She wrote my brother a note, left it on his pillow, and went to a sleepover with some friends. And it was, I love you, Daddy. And when he opened it up, it was Romans 5. Now, I don't know about you, but she's nine. It wasn't John 3.16. It wasn't Jeremiah 29.11. It was a letter from Romans, or a piece of scripture from Romans. Romans is, the letter to the Romans is a large part of why we're here today. Romans has cracked some of the hardest hearts in history. And it was Romans 5.3. And she said, it says this, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. A nine-year-old disciple to 41-year-old, because the proclamation of God's word happens in their house, they do scripture memory, they're part of a Bible-believing church, they have not forsaken the assembling together, and a nine-year-old discipled, loved through discipleship, learned, applied, and encouraged her dad because she knows the word of God. Amen. We're going to take communion. They'll be passing these around. So the bread of life at the Last Supper institutes the Lord's Supper, which the sole purpose of this is to remember. So when the world freezes over, when we lose our heat, when we think about losing our religion, forgetting who we are, you can do this. This is all about in remembrance of Jesus and what he did. And by the way, he instituted the Lord's Supper prior to going to the cross. He took the bread and broke it. And he said, eat this in remembrance of me whose body was broken for you. He raised the cup and he blessed it. And he said, drink this. This represents my blood in the new covenant that was shed for the remission of sins. Father God, I pray that this church is thankful. I pray that these eyes are open to everything that you have given us and your providence you have allowed for us to enjoy so much. Thank you for this church.
Thank you for our brothers and sisters. Thank you for opportunity to come together, learn more about you, seek to honor you in all that we do. Lord, I pray that something today would pierce the heart of someone that it would be called to remembrance this week and we would do things a little different. I pray that we are angled mirrors and that we would always hear your voice, the voice of the lion of the tribe of Judah in our head. I pray that we would seek to honor you with our behavior, with our bodies, as we seek to renew our minds day by day by the reading of your word, by the ingesting of all the life that is found in the pages of your holy Bible. Lord, I pray that you bring the people into our path that would help lead us to our purpose for your kingdom, but also that we could encourage and that we could help along their path. I pray that whatever trials, whatever tribulations we find ourselves having this week, that we would remember that it produces perseverance, that it can be a reflection of our faith in a God who never fails, a Jesus that is always with us, that we would seek to resist the devil, that we would confess our sins one to another, Lord, that we may be healed. We know that you are ever present with us. We pray that your spirit of love, peace, and joy live in our hearts and in our homes. <clears throat> Father, we pray over our leaders. We pray wisdom. We pray that they're in your loving hands. We pray for the Azari family in this time of mourning. Lord, in loving them and being there for them, we pray opportunity to simply pray and stand in the gap in a time of remembrance for Julio. Lord, we thank you that we have a church. We had the opportunity to meet him. We had the opportunity to watch him be baptized. I pray that this week provides opportunities, Lord, for us to honor you, for us to be your hands and feet, and for us to be worthy of the call to be a good soldier, not entangling ourselves with the affairs of the trivial nature of this world. All these things we ask, we believe for, and we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.